So it's good to see you, see you here today. We're talking about hope. I'm talking about hope today. I just feel like uh, I, was, I, was, I was, you know, I was praying about what, what are we going to, what's the next series that I want to go into. And as we lead into the Christmas season, I, I really wanted to, to talk about hope. Uh, God's Word defines hope as a powerful force that works with faith to see God's promises fulfilled. In our culture, uh, hope isn't seen that way. Hope is kind of like a weak wish. You know, like I hope, I hope it works out. Probably won't. You're probably toast. But I hope it, hope it works out. So, you know, it's, it's, it's different. Webster's Dictionary says uh, a desire accompanied by expectation of or belief in fulfillment. Pretty close to the biblical definition. An expectation of fulfillment or success. Uh, someone or something on which hopes are centered. Or something desired or hoped for. I, I just feel like we're in a time, we're in a season. Just a lot of people have lost hope. They're, they're hopeless. I mean, the, our world is, is a mess right now. Uh, there's you know, a lot going on in a lot of different levels. Supply chain problems and you know, prices going crazy. Uh, that's scary. Uh, it's confusing. For a lot of people, their identity is locked in their jobs and in their success and their affluence. And so in the midst of this struggle, they've, they've lost identity. They don't know who they are. Uh, there's a lot of people who feel afraid, a lot, of, a lot of fear. We've talked about this before, but the world system right now is really selling fear. I mean, they're, if you could just watch the first few minutes of any news broadcast, and it's, it's be afraid, be very afraid. But we're going to come in here and tell you, we're going we're gonna to help you be even more afraid, you know. Uh, just so many that feel afraid, disconnected, because they haven't been in contact. A lot of people just totally cut off contact with family and friends, so fearful of getting or spreading COVID that they just haven't had contact with anybody. So, so the next few weeks, we're going to try to get out of that. We're going to talk about hope, hope that defines us. So we have a couple of messages that I have planned so far, uh, hope that defines us, a hope that gives us an identity and a purpose. We're going to talk about that today. Hope that apprehends us. There is a hope the Bible talks about that gets a hold of us and it, then it, and it holds on to us. And then there's a hope that helps us hang on. A hope that becomes like an anchor for us in a stormy life, in the stormy seas of life. It, it's an anchor for our soul. It, it holds us in place in Christ. And then there is the best hope of all, the very best hope of all, is often described as the blessed hope. And the blessed hope, if you don't know what that is, the blessed hope is the expectation of the return of Christ. The hope that we have that Christ is coming back, and if we haven't already gone to heaven, 
then we're going to go to heaven with him. So we have that expectation. So today we're going to talk about the hope in Christ, the hope that defines us, a hope that gives us destiny, a hope that's so powerful that it impacts our lives so much that it gives us identity and purpose. People lack identity. They lack purpose. Romans chapter 5, verse, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, Paul says to the Romans, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained an introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. So that's a, I don't think we use the word exult very much, right? So exult is another way of thinking about rejoice. And the actual root of the word is to leap for joy. So a lot of times you'll notice, you know, uh, Alex is up here. She's very uh, bouncy. She's jumping around. She can do that. And doesn't hurt anything, you know. <laughs> Which is amazing, I think, you know. Uh, but that's, 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 that's really the definition of rejoicing. She was actually, I was thinking, we were singing the word rejoice, and she was exemplifying about what rejoicing is. And we do it all the time. We, we do it spontaneously. We, you, don't have to, you, don't have, you don't even have to tell somebody, hey, listen, uh, hey, you know, uh, our team's about to score a point. And when they score, this is going to be the winning point for the game. It's so important for our team. So when we score, when, when we score, everybody jump up on your feet and shout. Do you have to tell them that? Do you have to prepare them ahead of time? Now listen, this is what it says. This is the manual for how you, how you uh, worship at a foot. I mean, how you, uh, <laughs> how you give attention in a football game. Is that at, at, when your team scores, you're going you're gonna to rejoice. You're going to leap for joy. And that's what it means. It means we're so excited. We're so hopeful. We're rejoicing in hope. We're, we're jumping up and down because of the hope that we have in Christ. We exult in hope. We're extremely joyful. What are we, what are we joyful in? Well, we're joyful in the glory of God that is revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. What are we rejoicing about? We're rejoicing about the gospel of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4 says this, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of God, who is the image of God. So Christ's glory is revealed through the gospel. It's the good news of his coming. It's him I love that line in that song. I've said it several times. He, he, he left a throne in glory for a cradle in the dirt. I mean, that is incredible. So that's the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus became, God became man. And he became a man so that he'd come and live a sinless life that we, we've never lived a sinless life. 
So he lived a sinless life and he overcame the devil. He overcame temptation. He was tempted just like we are, but he didn't sin. He overcame that temptation. temptation. And then, then, then he lived this sinful life and he did wonderful things to prove who he was. He did miracles that showed that he was, he was not just a man. He, he calmed the seas. He raised people from the dead. He healed the lame. He healed the lepers. He, he did incredible things. Uh, but then, then he died on a cross for us. I mean, after proving that he's God, then, then he yields that and allows himself to be nailed to a cross. And he bears in, in his body on the cross, he bears our sin and he dies in our place, taking our death upon himself. But then the glorious part, the incredible part that he told us it was going to happen is three days, he came back. He was resurrected. That's the glory of the gospel. So we hope in the glory of the gospel of Christ. We exult in that. We, you know, that's, we, we pretty much sing about that every week. That's, that's the, what are we singing about? We're singing about who Jesus came. Jesus, Jesus left the throne of glory to the cradle in the dirt. Jesus came and lived. He overcame Satan. He gave us victory. He's a God who's present. He indwells within us. He's good. He died in our place. And he gives us the Holy Spirit so that we can follow him. So it, we glory in that. Nothing compares to the glory of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Paul says, For I consider, if he was texting, he'd say, I reckon. I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Who's that? That's us. So creation is waiting for us to be revealed fully as the sons of God. For the creation was subject uh, to subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also would be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The glory of the children of God. So, I just want to go back to the first verse, or verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I think there's two ways to look at this. One is that, and this is how I've often seen this verse this way, and you probably have too, that the suffering we have now will seem worth it all when the glory of God is revealed in us as the sons of God. In other words, when we get to heaven and we realize what it's like to be the sons of God in the glory of God and to have the glory of God, then, then in, it'll be worth it. Right? That's one aspect. But I think there's another way of thinking this. is like this. No matter how good now is, it's suffering. It's dung. It's slum living. 
compared to the glory that is coming, there is no way to compare it to the glory that is to be revealed in us. It's, it's like, can you imagine if you, you took a kid and, and, you know, you've seen pictures of it, I know, and there's, there's just places like this all over the world, there's, there's, just, there's just slum cities, there, there are places where there's just abject poverty, and uh, where they live in cardboard shacks and, and, and places that have just been cobbled together as best possible to provide some, some protection from the weather, if possible. And there are children that live there, and then there are children that become orphans there, and they, they grow up in those slums having absolutely nothing, just surviving barely. And then can you imagine taking that child and placing them in the palace with a cafeteria that's got food that's just available, all the fruit you could eat, all the food you could want. It, it would be, once you saw that, you, it would be hard for you to imagine. It, there would be nothing to compare the glory of the present situation to the glory of the past. And what one of the things God is saying is that here's what he wants you to get. You ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> the glory that is coming in God is so incredible that it will, it's good. And this is good. I don't know. I pretty much, I like being alive. I like this life. Anybody here like this life? I like this life. But he said, if you can wrap your mind around it compared to what is coming, it's, Paul even said it. It's dung. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. So, glory of the Lord is incredible. And we're going to share in the glory. We're going to share in the glory of the Lord. We ourselves will be glorified. Romans 9, 22. What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction and he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy that's us which he prepared beforehand for glory even us whom he's also called not from among jews but also from among gentiles paul is saying here that we gentiles we who were separate from god we who totally had no way no access to god through christ now have entrance into the Father, and now we will be glorified in heaven. We're going to, what, is, what does glorified mean? It means we're going to have the glory of God. We will be like him because we will see him just as he is. Paul says it in Romans Peter says it in 2 Peter 1, 4. 
For by these he has granted to us precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers, become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. He said, so that you're going to partake of, participate in God's nature. So what I want you to see about hope, what I'm trying to lay a uh, a groundwork, a foundation and a groundwork that's a foundwork. Just make up these words as we go along here. That hope is not a wish or a maybe, but it is an expectation of God's promises being fulfilled. It is, it is the hope, it is the belief. I, I fully expect that God's promises will be fulfilled. Here's what John says. So Paul said it, Peter said it, now John's saying it. See how great a f- love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. That's a, that's a wonderful thing right there. You just got called the Son of God. You, you just got identified with God. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him. It's, now, just, just try to wrap your mind around that. You're going to be like God. You will never be God because you can't be God, because you have a point of existence. You, you are created. God is not created. But in eternity, God has done something incredible in Christ. God has done something in that he has made you his own and he's clothed you with his righteousness. Uh, he has... He has made you a son. Your identification now, the hope of your life is not who you are, it's who you are in Christ. We know that when he appears we'll be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. This gospel defines our identity as sons of God destined for glory, a glory so great, nothing can compare to it. You can't even imagine it. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it even entered into the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those that love him. We can't even wrap our minds around it because it's too glorious. It's like we're kids living in the slum and we we can't imagine the palace. We, all, we've, all we've ever had is the slum. It's a really good slum. But it's going to be nothing but dung compared to the palace. It gives us reason to rejoice. So see, this, is, this gives us reason to rejoice. It gives us uh, exceeding joy. Rejoice with exceeding joy in the hope of the glory of God. Second Thessalonians. It was for this he called you through our gospel. 
that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. It was, it was for this that you would gain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained an introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. So he says, through our Lord Jesus Christ, because of our Lord Jesus Christ, we have been introduced, we have an introduction by grace into this faith, which we stand. Everything we have in God this hope that we have in God, this hope of, hope of eternity, this hope of glory, Christ in us, the hope of glory, this is all because of Christ. It's all by grace and because of Christ. Christ gives us grace that makes us stand. You know, he's defining that here. He says that it makes us stand and it helps us to keep standing. Romans 5.21 says it this way, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace reigns over sin. It exercises power and authority over sin. Grace reigns over sin. John Piper says this, grace is the sphere and power that masters us in Christ and works to free us from the dominion of sin and bring us eternal life. I think one of the things we do too well is we, we abuse grace. Too often we see grace as an excuse to get as far away from God as possible, to strain at the leash. And uh, this is Jack Russell, female Jack Russell, and uh, she thinks she's a Doberman. She doesn't know. Dogs don't know how big they are. They don't live in front of a mirror like you do, <laughs> or we do. You know, they don't know how big they are. So, so if we're walking. And she encounters another dog. It doesn't matter how big. That dog can be acting like it's going to eat her alive. She didn't care. She's not mad at him. She just wants to go meet him. I think she thinks, I, listen, you don't know me. Once you get to know me, we'll be fine. <laughs> but she will pull at the leash. And I'm thinking, you do not want to get away right now. Those two huskies that you, that are... <laughs> that are pulling their owner down the street towards us. <laughs> you don't know what you're getting into. And that's what grace is. Grace is pulling yourself into stupidity and not recognizing that grace wants to give you a way of escape. It's, it's not living as far away as we can. Some people think, well, oh, grace is wonderful. I, look how far away I can live from God. Look what I can get by with. Look what God will forgive. God is amazing. God will forgive everything. Isn't God amazing? No answer to that? Yes, he is amazing. Isn't grace amazing? But see, the power of grace is, a, is that it draws us in in time of need. 
The power of grace is not that we're straining at the leash, trying to get as far away from God as we can. Oh, the leash. He's holding me back. What's he holding us back from? Death, (laughs) sin, foolishness. It's the power instead that draws us into the help we need. We need help. Hebrews 4.16. It's hard to miss this. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Can I just pause for a minute and appreciate Brian Kilpatrick? You may not know who Brian is. Brian's who's running the slides back there. And he does a great job. He does it a lot of weeks, lots of weeks. He shows up, comes to two services, listens to two sermons, doesn't fall asleep too often, uh, ever that I've noticed. He does a great job. Thank you, Brian. So he's, you know, so he's got to keep up with what I'm going to throw out, which is not always real clear. We get the help we need from the throne of grace. The throne is a throne of grace to give us help when we need it. We can draw close in confidence. Romans chapter 5, it tells us, therefore, having been justified by faith, we rejoice in this. We have hope in this. We have hope that we've been introduced into grace. We exult in hope. We rejoice in hope because we've been introduced into grace. We exult in hope because we have been justified by faith. Justification is a two-part process. Uh, It means you lose something and you gain something. You lose your sin, but you gain his righteousness. You gain sonship. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might be the righteousness of God in him. So your identification is your identification by grace through faith, through Christ, is that we've been introduced into this grace, and now we have sonship in God. We have identification. We're justified, and now we've received sonship. Our identification is we're sons of God. We're identified in sonship. I think the Cowboys play today at noon. Is that right, Landon? Yes. My, my, I know my one Cowboy fan and, uh, and one with a Cowboy hat on over here. Darius. DeMarcus. Demarcus wearing his cowboy hat. You can, be a, you can be a cowboy fan. You can wear a cowboy's jersey, and some of you have cowboy's jerseys. I've noticed, I've seen them. It makes you a fan, but it doesn't make you a cowboy. You can be wearing an official NFL approved number four Dak Prescott jersey. And if you went to the game today and tried to get into the locker room, they would say quite forcefully, you cannot come in here. You're not really Dak. You're just wearing his jersey. You could point at your jersey and say, but look, it's me. But you're still not getting in. Now, if you're in Christ, 
you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And when God sees you, he sees his son. And he sees his righteousness. Your identity is Christ's righteousness. You are getting into heaven because of the righteousness of Christ. He doesn't say, he's not going to say when you get there, who are you? Who do you think you are coming in here? He's going to say, come in here, my son. Come in here, my daughter. That's been bought with the blood of my son. You have been made righteous. You've been clothed with the righteous. We have become the righteousness of God in Christ. We have been justified. We lost our sins, but we got sonship. Romans 5, 1 and 2. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. The greatest thing that's happened, we've got peace with God. Romans 5, 8 and 9 says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We were still enemies of the cross. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. He saves us from the wrath of God. God's wrath... God's wrath, it's, it's not talked about very often, but God's justifiable anger at your and my sin. God has a right to be angry at our sin and our rebellion. It's the biggest problem in the world. The wrath of God against sin is the biggest problem in the world. It's the greatest need. It's the biggest problem because it is an eternal problem. It's not just life and death. There are a lot of life and death problems. There are, there's COVID-19, you know, they've been, been dealing with that now for two years almost. It's bigger than climate change. It's a bigger problem than world hunger. It's a bigger problem than any problem you can think of. It's, it's not life and death. It's eternal in its ramifications. It's, it's that important that we escape from the wrath of God. And it can only be saved, it can only, it can only be rescued. He describes it here that now having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. We often use this term saved. I got saved. What did you get saved from? You got saved from the wrath of God. You got saved from what you deserved to get. And it is only through accepting the sacrificial work of Christ on your behalf that you can be saved. And I would tell you today, if you have not accepted Christ as your Savior and Lord, you have a big problem. You have a wrath of God problem. You have a God who, in a word, spoke the universe into existence. A universe that is billions and billions of light years across. He did it. That problem can be solved. It's a big problem. This room is full of people who solve that problem easily by coming and trusting to Christ as their Savior. Christ came to satisfy the wrath of God. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. We accept what 
Jesus did on our behalf. And we are saved. If you have not asked Christ to be your Savior and Lord, I urge you, I beg you, Turn from the wrath of God to the righteousness of Christ. Because he did the work. He did the work so that we could escape. How can we escape through that work? And if you've received Christ, exult in it. Rejoice in the hope. Be joyful for what he's done. He has given you hope of a glorious future that's more glorious than you and I can even imagine. Amen? Let's stand together and pray. Thank you, Jesus.